Oh, I told Derek, uh, as we've been visiting these last couple of days, I said, I'm glad I'm preceding you today instead of following you after tomorrow night, because he's a much better expositor of the Word than his father is. But it is really a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, for five years since Derek and the family's been on staff here, uh, my wife and I, when we've come up to visit, we're always seated kind of back in there, kind of incognito, uh, you know, and uh, we've gotten to know your staff over the years. And, and uh, Pastor Scott, I know you're probably listening or watching in. It's such a privilege to be here today and to entrust this pulpit uh, to, to me, to be able to bring uh, this uh, Sunday Christmas message to you. Uh, so uh, we're going to go ahead and, and get started. And I've entitled this message this morning, uh, Timing is Everything. Timing is everything. You know, timing can be crucial, can it? Uh, good timing can make the difference between an interesting story or a joke and a boring one especially if you forget the punchline just at the right moment. How important is timing in cooking? I mean, you don't want the smoke detector telling you when supper's done, right? And, and even when it comes to planting our gardens and our fields, uh, timing is extremely important. If we plant too soon, what happens? A late frost can kill the seedlings, right? And if we plant too late, the crop won't mature before snow maybe falls. It also in sports, and I'm a big sports fan, it can come down to the split-second timing of, of a, a baseball swing or jumping for a touchdown catch in the end zone at just the right moment. Sometimes in life we time things well, and sometimes we're not so good at it. So on this Christmas Day, I'm going to ask you to join me um, in Paul's book of Galatians, uh, as we explore a different side of the Christmas message. Normally, we would hear from, uh, you know, the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, where we find the accounts of the Christmas narrative. But you have to know that as the Apostle Paul traveled around uh, Galatia and the uttermost parts of the world, he brought a Christ-centered message of the Gospel that he came, and that included uh, the birth that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I think you would agree with me that Christmas has become more than a celebration. It has become a real challenge in our culture and society. I mean, Christmas uh, comes to be a race to see which gives out first, your money or your feet. Um, and I appreciate, Adam, your leadership this, mor this morning and, and kind of acknowledging that we just need just a moment of quiet to just kind of let the distractions out and to just really focus on what this season is all about. So on this Christmas Sunday, I want to talk to you about timing, God's perfect timing. And, and may I tell you that when Jesus Christ arrived as a baby in Bethlehem, God hit a home run. Uh, this, past, uh, this past spring, I had the privilege, uh, I thought I was retired God left me retired for about a year, and then in his timing, he called me back on staff at our church in Clarksville, Georgia, up in the northeast uh, Georgia mountains, so I bring greetings from Bethlehem Baptist Church, a church that actually we just celebrated, listen to this, folks, 200 years, 200 years, 
And it is a vibrant, vibrant church today uh, that is uh, honoring the Lord and reaching people in our community uh, for Christ. And uh, we're just so thrilled to, to be there. Uh, but this past spring, I had a chance to uh, spend actually uh, two months over in Israel. I've been there many, many times. I've traveled throughout the, the Middle East and the Mediterranean Basin and all. But, uh, but this spring, I actually got to spend some, some really some time of longevity there in Israel. And let me tell you, it is always um, an, a unique experience when you travel into Bethlehem today. And you see what has grown out of a small little village town when Mary and Joseph had first visited it. And you go to the, the church of the nativity and you recognize what happened in that area. And you look over Shepherd's Field and you think about the Christmas narrative and the, uh, the, the angels there speaking to the shepherds and all. God hit a home run at just the right time. And you need to learn this about God. He's never early, he's never late, and he's always right on time. He is the on-time God. You see, God doesn't operate on Eastern Standard Time. He operates on eternal standard time. And when Jesus was born, it was no accident It was an appointment in time. Before time began, God had set it on heaven's calendar. Well, on this Christmas Sunday morning, we're thinking about God's perfect timing. And I want to show you from Galatians chapter 4 what God's perfect timing meant back then. And then I want to show you what it means today. And then what it means for us personally. You see, friends, since the fall of humanity... God has been working on a plan designed to make redemption available to fallen mankind. The plan was implemented with the death of Christ on the cross and the subsequent establishment of his kingdom. But long before the birth of Christ, however, God was providentially working among the nations of the world to prepare the human race for the coming of the Savior. In our passage this morning in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to see a very unique phrase that Paul uses, when the fullness of time came. The fullness of time mentioned in our text today was the time that God sent his eternal wisdom and forethought and had appointed as the ideal time for Christ to come into the world as our Savior. To say it differently, divine planning and preparation preceded the Savior's birth. His coming was not a brief thought uh, that flashed into our Heavenly Father's mind one day and was rashly and impulsively acted upon. Rather, His coming was intricately blueprinted in the design plan of God before the foundations of the world were laid. And when all the necessary events took place, When the world was ripe for this divine intervention, Jesus was born in the fullness of time. Appropriately, that's what Paul called this juncture in history. Now, I'm a real Old Testament uh, buff. I I love reading through the Old Testament because uh, I remember long, long ago, a seminary professor, professor told me 
that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And as followers of Christ, we need to, need to know the whole counsel of God's Word. And you remember that the entire Old Testament period really formed a prelude for the coming of the Messiah. In the patriarchal period, God chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to be his servants through whom he would create a nation that he would call his own. A nation that was to be a beacon of light among all the pagan nations around them. And he elected to call this nation Israel, which was the name that he had given to Jacob. Kind of fast forward, in the Mosaical age, God brought his chosen nation under his law, which he revealed through Moses at Mount Sinai. He taught them to worship him and to live as his holy people. However, you and I know that the law was only meant to be a mirror in our face to show us that we could not keep the law, that we were disobedient to the law and our inability to keep the law. Yet all of God's actions during the Old Testament period were really the groundwork being laid, the prearrangement for bringing the Messiah into the world at the fullness of time. Someone has said that the narrative of the Old Testament is the story of a nation, and the narrative of the New Testament is the story of a person. And so since the narrative of the Old Testament is the story of the nation of Israel, and since the creation of this nation was God's advanced work for bringing uh, of the Messiah into the world, we should not be surprised that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament then refers to the Lord's church as the Israel of God. You see, the Hebrew nation was very important in the divine plan for human salvation. Genesis twenty-two eighteen tells us that through this people, the Messiah would come. And accordingly, the Lord protected Israel, or at least a remnant that we know, so that the promises regarding the Messianic line would be kept intact. And so Paul, in this epistle to the churches of Galatia, which would be modern-day Turkey today, when Paul would write his letters, and we know that Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, and, uh, and everywhere he went, he tried to keep a Christ-centered gospel before the people. And so this letter to the churches in Galatia would have been a handwritten letter uh, by possibly his scribe that would have been circulated through the many, many churches in uh, what is modern-day Turkey today. And so without a doubt, the apostle here alludes to heaven's providential preparations among various nations which would facilitate the arrival and success of Christ's redemptive mission. Let me just mention three very quickly, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail. The Hebrews, the Jews, for example, they prepared the ancient world with its sacred scriptures that were replete with messianic prophecies. The Roman Empire provided a peaceful environment called the Pax Romana in Latin, as they dominated the world with their military might. They built the ancient highway system that would be used for the rapid spread of the gospel later on. And that is why the gospel was able to spread so quickly from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria 
to the uttermost parts of the world. And then the Greeks, who had preceded the Roman Empire, they contributed the most precise instrument for the conveyance of human thought ever devised, the Koine Greek language in which the New Testament was composed. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, shouts of the providential activity of the Creator. And so this Christmas Sunday morning, I want to bring us back to the truth that Christmas is all about a loving and a gracious God, the God of the universe who made himself fully known to us in the fullness of time. Would you stand with me? And the, our text is on the screen this morning from the ESV, which is the translation that I use and I think your church uses as well, Pastor Scott. And I want you to read with me in honor his, of, his, uh, of God's word. Uh, would you read with me these words aloud? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Thank you. You may be seated. Our Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, as we open your word this morning and look for a few moments at the, at the deep meaning and richness of these verses. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit might be our guide and, Father, lead us into the truth of your scriptures and make application to it in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Today's text starts out with a very interesting phrase that has always caught my attention. When the fullness of time had come. What does that mean? Um, fullness of time. It's, it's not just referring to the, to the clock striking midnight, but that all the chips were in place. Everything was ready. God was measuring the circumstances of history and time, and now he determined that it was time for action. The instrument of his plan designed to make redemption available to fallen mankind had finally come. So as we think about God's perfect timing, the first thing that I want you to see in verse 4 is the period of God's perfect timing. The period of God's perfect timing. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, the original Greek word for fullness there is the Greek word pleroma. It refers to something that is full or filled or complete. And when the Apostle Paul says that God sent forth his son in the fullness of time, he was saying that everything that needed to happen in preparation of the arrival of Jesus had taken place. Not one thing had been forgotten about. And after 400 years of silence to the nation of Israel since the last of the prophets of Malachi, God chose finally this particular time to make himself known. When? In the fullness of time. I want you to see that, that this period of God's perfect timing was not accidental. Paul makes it very clear that God had an appointed time for, his, for this event. 
And you and I know that there are no accidents with God. Nothing just happens, but everything is according to his timetable. But God was not premature in revealing himself in the flesh to man some 2,000 years ago. He was right on time. But as we look at the time of this fullness of time, we see that the time was right culturally and socially. In the third century before Christ, Alexander the Great conquered the world and with it brought the Greek culture and language known as Hellenism. He had uh, conquered uh, all of Western and Eastern Europe, all of North Africa, all of the Middle East, and all the way to the boundaries of India. And he brought this Hellenistic Greek culture with him, with the language. And the Greek culture broke down barriers of nationalism so that people from one nation more easily accepted ideas of someone from another nation. This would later mean that when Christians would travel from one country to another with the message of Christ, they were more easily accepted. Another important aspect of the Greek culture was the language. The Greek language had become the commercial language of the world, a universal language, much as English is now the second language spoken by most people of the world. And this made it possible for the scriptures then to be read and understood by all because it was during the time that the, the Jewish scribes would translate the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek, and that's where we get the Greek Septuagint. And so this became known and available to all the people in the world. And with its sacred scriptures replete with messianic prophecies, the people were looking forward to the long-awaited Messiah. Truly, when Christ was born, it was in the fullness of time culturally and socially. But the time was right politically. During the century before Christ was born, the Romans took control of the divided territories that Alexander had conquered and controlled the known world through their military might. And with uh, Roman control came the building of roads to connect all the great commercial centers to where you could travel all throughout the known world. And with Roman law came protection for Roman citizens and freedom to move from one country to the other. Therefore, when the Apostle Paul and others preached the gospel, they were able to travel on semi-paved roads with privileges that were never known before. You see, when Christ was born... It was the fullness of time politically. But not only was this st uh, the stage set socially and culturally and politically, the, sta the stage was set spiritually because the pluralistic gods of Greece and Rome had resulted in empty and hungry lives. And their world, much like our world today, was in spiritual bankruptcy. They were looking for something spiritually that would bring fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose in their life. They were looking for something that was real, something that would bring meaning to their life. And add to that the old philosophies that had proved empty as well. Spiritual hunger was everywhere. The world was starving for peace and a purpose to live. And Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, the time was right, the world stage was ready, the stage was set. And with the Roman Empire dominating the world politically, 
those under their control were looking for a deliverer now. Somebody who could free the Jews from their bondage of the Romans. There was a sense of great expectation that perhaps this was the time that the long-awaited Messiah from the Davidic line would come and rule. And God used what was taking place to prepare the world for the arrival of his son. And now Paul tells us that when Jesus arrived, he arrived right on time. Not a second too early, not a second too late. Besides the period of God's perfect timing that we see, I want you to see the plan of God's perfect timing. The plan of God's perfect timing. Now, if the period was right on time, you can know that God's plan was right on time. So what was this plan that God had? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us here in Galatians 4.4 about God's threefold plan when it came to the birth of his son. God sent forth his son. That speaks of his incarnation. You see, the word Paul uses here tells us that Jesus uh, wasn't just sent forth from God, he was sent out from God, which is the better translation of the Greek. You see, Jesus Christ pre-existed as God. John 1.1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And there has never been a moment when Jesus was not. In fact, when Jesus was born, he was as old as his father and older than his mother. Now let that sink in for just a moment. But not only did Jesus preexist as God, he coexisted as God, as one of the Trinity. Jesus said in John 10:30, "I and my Father are one." And he later on said in John 16, verse 28, "I came forth from the Father and have come into the world." Now, don't think for just a moment that when Jesus came out from God, that he ceased to be God by becoming a man. He never dropped his deity. Jesus was as much God as though he wasn't a man, and he was as much man as though he wasn't God. He wasn't half man and half God. He was fully man and fully God. He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And so that's what the incarnation speaks of, God coming in the flesh. But there is more in that phrase, God sent forth his son. The word Paul uses there is translated sent forth, which means sent forth with a purpose, with a mission, with a commission. God commissioned forth his son. He sent forth his son with a mission in mind. And we're going to see what that mission is is in just a moment. That was God's plan. First, God sent forth his son. That speaks of his incarnation. Secondly, the text says he was born of a woman. That speaks of his conception. That is the virgin birth of Christ. The birth of Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. In chapter 7, verse 14, when the word says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ was conceived by a virgin. In fact, your salvation and my salvation 
hinges on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And here's why. The Bible says that all in Adam die. Had Jesus been born of man rather than virgin born of a woman, he would not have been a sinless sacrifice. No sinless sacrifice, no atonement. No atonement, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, no salvation. No salvation, and you and I are without hope. It all hinges on the virgin birth of Jesus. God sent forth his son, speaks of his incarnation. Born of a woman, that speaks of his conception. But then the text says, born under the law, that speaks of his liberation. Jesus was born under the law in order to fulfill the law so that you and I might be liberated from the law, finally, once and for all. You see, by nature, everybody is under the nomination of the law. Paul says in Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide or continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. And then in verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression till the seed, capital S, a reference to Jesus himself, should come to whom the promise was made. So do you see it? First comes the incarnation of Jesus, God in the flesh. And what made the incarnation possible? The conception of Jesus, his virgin birth. Jesus came as he did, virgin born, to be what he was, sinless, to do what he did, die as the perfect substitute, liberating us from the domination of the law, so that we might be what we are, the text says, the sons of God. This is liberation. For Paul says in Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Finally, I want you to see the purpose of God's perfect timing. Not only the period of God's perfect timing, God's plan of perfect timing, but I want you to see the purpose of God's perfect timing. Verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, now Paul tells us here that God's plan involved a couple of things. Number one, it involved our redemption. Here's the purpose of Christmas, folks, to redeem us. Christ came to redeem us. And that word redeem literally means to buy out of. It was used in Bible days to describe someone who literally would buy a slave in order to set them free. They would purchase them out of their slavery and into freedom. That's what redemption is. The sinless Jesus became the sacrificed Jesus in order to become the saving Jesus. Jesus came in order to die, delivering us, redeeming us from the bondage and the curse of the law. 
Do you know what Christmas says? Christmas says that you matter to God. Christmas says that God cares about you. Christmas says that God loves you. Christmas says that you and I can fully know God as we are fully known. God's plan not only involved our redemption, but further, it involved our adoption. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Make no mistake about it. Jesus didn't redeem us that we would remain slaves, bound to the law. He redeemed us to make us sons, heirs of his promise. Not only does God accept us, he adopts us. Under the law, you see, we're slaves, but under grace, we are sons and daughters of the king. And as sons and daughters, we have an inheritance that is coming. Jesus was born of a virgin to be what he was, the God-man, to do what he did, to die for us ultimately on Calvary as the full satisfaction of the sins of humanity. He did what he did that he might change what I was, a slave to a son. What a savior we celebrate this Christmas. Let me ask you a very pointed, direct, personal question. Have you been redeemed this Christmas Sunday? You see, as I look at an audience in a church like this, there's really two people that are here. One who is outside of a relationship in Christ, which means that you're still bound by the sin in your life. You're still bound by the law of the old. You've not been freed because you've not come to accept what Christ has done for you in your life. And then the other part of the congregation are those of you who have been redeemed. There was a point in time in your life that you came before Christ, you acknowledged your sins, you repented of your sins, you trusted what Christ did for you in the gospel message, and you placed your faith and trust in him. You surrendered your life to him. So let me ask you, are you a son or are you a slave? If you're a slave, then God's asking you today to repent and to be saved. And if you're a son, then God wants you to live your life each and every day of the year, not just Christmas season, honoring and glorifying him. You see, God's timing is so perfect. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, God arranged all of history for this moment in time. He arranged everything so that at just the right time, just as prophecy had said, everything happened just so. His timing was flawless. And I don't want you to go through this Christmas season without recognizing that. But yet as his plan unfolded in century after century, how many must have felt that his timing was off? I mean, all throughout history, Israel cried out for the coming Messiah. And yet as we close the Old Testament and enter into the New Testament, God had been silent for 400 years. Or think of history closer to the time of our Savior's birth. Do you think that the Jewish people were happy that they were under domination by Rome? How can God keep his promises when the Gentiles are ruling over us? But you see, God's plan was coming together. 
Or think of Joseph and Mary when they heard that decree from Caesar Augustus about having to go back to their home to be counted and taxed for a census that was going on. Not a good timing for traveling when you're probably in your last month of pregnancy, right, ladies? It was a rough journey. More or less, when they got there to Bethlehem, they were so crowded that the Scripture says that there was no room for the inn. You see, the timing couldn't be worse from Joseph and Mary's aspect, but God's timing is always best. For God used that decree to see to it that prophecy was fulfilled as the minor prophet Micah had foretold. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathoth, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, Micah 5.2. You see, this was all part of God's plan, a quiet birth, not in a cradle or a crib, but in a feeding trough with some of the shepherds acknowledging what was happening. He came into this world under the most lowly circumstances, but this was part of God's plan, perfectly timed. And he timed it this way for you and for me. He timed it perfectly to redeem you, to ransom you with the holy, precious blood of his son born in Bethlehem. He timed it to perfectly ransom you, to be part of his family, to receive the full rights of sons as his adopted children. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made from a woman, made under the law, to redeem those, that's you and me, under law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And his timing not only worked out 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, but it's also working in your life today. At the right time, he worked faith in your heart to accept in repentance what his son did upon the cross to redeem you and reconcile you to the heavenly father. As a child of God, you can call on him as your dear father. You live with the confidence that he's taking care of you, that he's protecting you, that he's providing for you. And as a child of God through faith in Jesus, you're also an heir to all the promises that God has for us. You have an inheritance with him in heaven. What blessings are yours and mine as God's children, adopted into his family with full rights of sons, all because of God's perfect timing. So as a matter of application, next time when you think the timing in your life seems to be going the wrong way, that God is silent, that God's not showing himself, that God's not speaking to you, that things just don't seem to be going right, when your hopes and dreams don't seem to be working out, when you want to throw up your hands in frustration, shouting, how could this happen now at this moment in time in my life? Remember God's timing. It is so often contrary to our way of thinking, but his time is perfect, and it's always on time. So this Christmas, as you celebrate with your family, come to the manger and see. No empire, no army, or nation could stop him from sending your Savior. This all happened just as God planned at just the right time. Trust God's merciful grace to watch over you 
as his dear child in Jesus until he brings safely to your inheritance in heaven at just the right time. We're going to transition in just a moment to celebrating communion as a church family. And I want to encourage you that today, if, if God has prompted your heart to make some kind of spiritual decision, perhaps it's a decision to connect with this church as your church home, or perhaps you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today God has been pricking your heart, telling you that this is the right time. There will be elders that will be down front at the very end of the service. And I would encourage you to come and talk with them about whatever spiritual decision that you're making this Christmas Sunday morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, the precious word that you've given to us. Thank you for reminding us that we are sons and daughters of the King Father, thank you for reminding us that in the fullness of time, you came prepared at that moment in history to provide salvation to humanity. Father, thank you today that those of us who are in Christ, Father, can claim you and claim the inheritance that we have that is rich in Christ. So, Father, help us to go through the remainder of this Christmas season honor and glorifying you with our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.